you're listening in online, we're in Job chapter 1. The series is called Looking, Seeing Beyond the Suffering. Seeing Beyond the Suffering. Job 1, 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed or shunned evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that his, this man was the greatest of all the men of the East." And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually May the Lord aid his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, as we embark upon this study of Job, help me, Lord, to teach uh, your word and not uh, our possibly own connivings or whatever, or thoughts, not connivings, but thoughts and interpretations. Lord, may your word be preeminent as always. May we see you in the book of Job, not just the plight of perhaps some friends who could have behaved differently or Job who suffered so much and was patient, which are true in regards. But Lord, it is you. That's what it's about. The last chapters especially come through that it is about you. You are an awesome God, a great God. And so to help us to put our trust in you, even in difficult times. And ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There was a Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called The Heroic Endurance of Job, and he used as he had preached a whole Sunday morning for an entire year, he had preached on Job. And quoting from his book, he said, I'm not saying they began to weary under the load, but I can testify that when the day arrived when I was able to announce we were coming to an end of our study of Job, the place exploded in spontaneous loud applause. So there we go. Uh, you don't have to. Hopefully, anyway. We'll, well, I don't know what will happen, but the Lord. I want the Lord to use this to to uh, teach us all. As a preacher's preface, if you would, I, I believe Job suffered a kind a way that very few have ever had to suffer. We understand that. I'm additionally aware that there are others who are far more experientially qualified to teach Job than me. There are some of you in this room tonight who suffer all the time, pain-wise, physically, etc., who are far more able to teach this than me. I like what one commentator said. Others could speak with more insight and eloquence than I can out of the painful personal encounter with suffering. I would say that. And I found this in Hawker's. It's called the Poor Man's Commentary. I like this. He says, in my entrance upon every part of the sacred writings, I desire to keep constantly in view the same solemn charge from the Lord as he delivered to Moses from the bush and to take off the shoe in token of profound humiliation as one conscious that the place where I tread is holy ground. Lord, grant me every suited grace at all the steps I take that my feet may not slide. What a prayer. And that's like a pastor when he comes to talk about the book of Job. It's a, I cannot say by any means I have experienced what you have gone through by any means. And some of you, I cannot even, I've not had to experience what some of you even are going through now. I'm not saying that. What I want is for all of us to learn. I think Job, if you want to look back at 38, 1 to 3, I think Job had learned so much by the time he get to the end of the book. Job 38, 1, where God calls Job to respond and the last, the last few chapters, if you've not read Job recently, the last chapters where God just really, 
It's, it's amazing. And then the Lord answered Job, 38.1, out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Wow. That just puts the human being in his place. I will his place, I'm telling you, for, for God is God and we are not. And God is a wonderful God, and I want us to see that. It's not just about suffering. I want us to see beyond the suffering. In preparation for the sermon, I was reading about a true story about a single mother who lived about 1,200 miles from Houston and got a job offer down in Houston, and she didn't know whether to move her three children, all under 15, and she was the sole responsible parent for them, but she decided the move is a great job. So she moved to Houston and started working for Enron, of all places. And then one day over, over the, uh, at the water fountain, she heard some talk about there was problems in the company, but they're the kind of problems you just want to ignore because her entire retirement was there, her health benefits were there, and the financial security was there in this job with Enron. Matter of fact, it was called Enron Field at a time. It's called now Minute Maid Field in Houston. And so the company at that time was peaking, but now their disaster strikes, and she gets her pink slip. She moved to Houston for the job, three children she's caring for. She lost her job. Well, was pondering how to tell the children. Then a couple of days later, while showering, she detected a lump she had not discovered before. Two days, later, two days later, she found out she has an aggressive malignancy. But I fail to mention that three years prior to that, her husband ran off with a much younger and attractive assistant. And by the way, they were doing great. Both of them had new cars, both had secure jobs, and they had no children to take care of. Now the single mother again with three children to care for has to move in with her ailing parents who have a home with only three bedrooms. Life is not difficult. Life is sometimes downright unfair. Welcome to the world of Job of the East. Without realizing, I think this woman walked on Job's turf for a while. Perhaps so you have. Perhaps you are there now. Our authority will be, as always, seeing beyond suffering is the infallible word of God, the lessons the Holy Spirit teaches us through this man from us. And I probably Job is not how you even pronounce it in Hebrew, but that's just what we're going to do. That's the name we know, Job. But also, I'm going to rely upon a book that I have been reading. I've showed it to you before, uh, Beyond Suffering by Dr. Leighton Talbert. Uh, Talbert. I emailed Dr. Talbert and said, thank you for the book, how it's ministered to me and my wife already. And I said something to the effect that uh, that I was going to, such a blessing that probably our congregation is going to hear some words from you from the book. I'll also use other commentaries. I'm not a road scholar. I'm not even a highway scholar. I'm just going to rely upon what the Holy Spirit teaches me through his word and through others. But Job is not simply armchair theologians rambling on and on. Uh, it would rather, as I, I found this wording, it bristles with full-bore debate and hot-blooded argument amid tense personal suffering and searching. It affirms faltering faith and challenges right-hearted but wrong-headed religious platitudes. Why did Job's wife not get killed? Why did God leave Job's wife? Are the three friends that we so quickly throw out and cast stones at, are they really terrible people overall? Who came to be with Job? Those terrible friends that said, well, there are three who actually did come to sit with him for a whole week and said nothing. So before we castigate the three terrible, well, we need to know and think about clearly what it is. They were dead. Now, they said, they said some unkind things, certainly. But it's Job is the stuff of universal human experience. 
I like this. Someone said, it is not simply literature. It is life distilled. It is life and life distilled. Again, from Beyond Suffering, the story of Job reads like theater electrified to life by painful personal experience. Animated characters gesture energetically. Their voices rise and fall with entreaty, accusation, even sarcasm. It is a real-life drama brimming with vivid verbal images, passionate prayers, withering insults, soaring soliloquies, arresting frankness of speech of man and God. A no-holds-barred wrestling with questions about disturbing realities, inexplicable and inequities, apparent injustice, and above all, the silence and hiddenness of God. For example, let's turn to chapter 11, please, of the sarcasm. Chapter 11, if you would there, please. Verse, the first six verses, if you'll follow along. Today, we're laying, this evening, we're laying the groundwork for our study. Job chapter 11, verse 1. Job 11, 1, and then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But all that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which he is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. I'm thinking, how could he exact more? Only he has left is his actual living body, which is all eaten up with sores. And look what Job says in 12.1. And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. Wow, you're a, you're a brainiac. Wow, my goodness. You, have, you, sir, are the end of all human wisdom. So the result is not an eroded confidence in God or a weakened faith, but a mature and settled assurance rooted in the firm that relies upon God's self-revelation. This book is God's revelation to us. Some of it's easier to understand than others, but this, this whole book of Job is a marvelous, penned by the Holy Spirit through the, through the right. We'll talk about the author in a few moments. But our God is an awesome God. If you're taking down notes, there's the nature, structure, author, and culture. Nature, structure, author, and culture of the book. And first of all, there's the nature, and we're back to chapter 1 now, if we would please. Chapter 1, verse 1, that's what I'm going to read there. So we'll be dialing around in Job a little bit this evening. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. Interesting, and during World War II, at the opening of the war between Japan and the United States, it looked as though the conflict might be staged in the Pacific Ocean, very likely possibly around Hawaii. And we know that December the 7th, 1941 arrives and Pearl Harbor happens. And then there's the declaration of war. We understand that. But for the first time, Americans began to hear of strange names like Guadalcanal and others. There in those quiet, obscure, out-of-the-way corners of the earth, the greatest powers on earth were locked in mortal combat. The islands became the battleground for the great fight between empires. I think something has happened that Job does not know anything about. You read the first two chapters, Satan, God talks to Satan, etc. And then Job, look at verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or shuns evil? 
Before he knows it, Job is the centerpiece of the activities of the thinking and the direction of God. Here, I want to show that there is, and Satan says, oh, you, Job only follows you, God, because you blessed him so much, really. Well, let's just see. And so this is the center of activity. Job, imagine, can you imagine the day before all that happens in chapter 1? Things, he's doing the right thing and offering his sacrifices and praying for his children. And all of a sudden, the next day, it all falls apart. And all of a sudden, Job is the center. What is Job's response? 1, 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. 23, verse 10, please. 23, verse 10. I love this verse. Ron Hamilton must have been thinking of this verse when he wrote his song, Rejoice in the Lord. 23.10, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Wow. Job is going to be tried. Some of you are going through trials right now. How are you going to come forth? In 13.15, look what it says in 13.15 of, te- of, of the book of Job. 13.15, if you would please. 13.15, Though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Wearsby says that gold fears no fire. Whatever we have that is burned up and left in the furnace was not worth having anyway. Think about that. Whatever is burned up and left in the furnace was not worth having anyway. Gold fears no fire. A lady named Mary Kimbrough wrote these words. Though he slay me, I will trust him, said the sainted Job of old. Though he try me in the furnace, I shall come forth as gold. Though the worms of deep affliction cause my body to decay, in my flesh I shall behold him, my Redeemer, some glad day. Though he slay me, can I say it when I feel the searing fire? When my fondest dreams lie shattered, gone my hope and fond desire? Though he slay me, I will trust him, for he knows just how to mold, how to melt and shape my spirit. I shall then come forth as gold. And that was Job's desire. He's gonna, he, I'm going to trust him. Christians today, we give up on far too less of a problem. Christians say, well, this is just too much strain and too much stress. I'm just going to go back the way it was. And, and so many, again, that Tozier quote, it's not been tra- found and tried... Tried and found lacking. It's not been tried because it's been found hard. That is the Christian walk. It's, it's not easy peasy. I believe it's very telling that when people are hurt and confused and want prayer, they don't go to Homer's Iliad or Plato's Republic or somewhere, or even Shakespeare's sonnets. I tell you where they go. They want consolation. You go to the God of the Bible. You go to the God of the Bible. Francis Anderson said, on his commentary of Job, the Old Testament book Job is one of the best gifts of God to man. The task of understanding it is as rewarding as it is strenuous. It plums the depths of human despair, the anger of moral outrage, and the anguish of apparent desertion by God. It's an amazing book. I was just heard this past week. Uh, one of the conservative talk show hosts released a book. It is called The Gift of Failure. The gift of... When's the last time you thought, saw failure as a gift? When's the last... We, we, some, maybe you do. I often take failure as a... Whoa, man. Instead of, wow, you learned how 10 ways not to put in a toilet. I've learned 10 ways how not to fix the toilet. I, and I've learned several ways how not to sharpen your lawnmower blades. I've learned a lot of different things. I've learned... A, 
how, about 50 ways not to how to play that song I played a few moments ago. I've learned a lot of ways how not to play it. I even showed one tonight. The gift of failure. Job, is a, Job, though, is so relevant for today. Harrison, in his Old Testament commentary, said, By any standard of comparison, it ranks among the most significant pieces of world literature. A 19th century historian said, There is nothing written, I think, in the Bible or out of it, of equal literary merit. Alfred Lord Tennyson said, The greatest poem of ancient or modern times said that of Job. When's the last time you heard someone preach on Job? It's the first time ever since here. But, or even talk about Job hardly in a positive. Well, I've got a. Do you have a list of books you read through first for your yearly reading? This might be on it. I just read through it last week. It wasn't necessarily I read through it because I wanted to read through it. But it's, I, I tell you, in the past, I will be honest, smack dab honest. We were talking to a lady on the Thursday. She was so honest. She went to Tennessee Temple, and her husband had gotten saved. They went to Highland Park, and he was feeling the call to missions. And then the missions conference came along, and he was feeling called to missions, and she was not. She said, Lord, that place probably has snakes. And, that Lord, Lord, and she was like, Lord, I just don't want to go. I don't want to go. I just really don't want to go. And finally, she says, if you don't go, you're really going to hinder your husband. Okay, I guess I'll go. And, and you know, we, we think that all missionaries have it easy. It's like, wow, it's, the mission's like, oh, the Lord's called me. I just can't wait. To, it's a, it's a, can you imagine? The rice singers are going to be with us here in, in July. The struggle to say yes. The labor it takes to get going. The calling of churches. How many churches do you have to call to raise, what, eight or 9,000? I don't know what it's going to be for them, but have... How many churches do you have to call? Because how many say no? A lot of the missionaries will email, and I just don't, we don't have room right now, and so I don't respond. They send out all these emails. If someone calls me, I'll try to respond to that. But do you, it's, it's, oh, the missionaries are absolutely, they need our prayer. They're like you and me. Sometimes you may not want to give your, your offering to the Lord. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right. But sometimes it's easier to give my offering to the Lord than others i got so many bills right now. How can I even give anything to the Lord right now? Honor the Lord. You can never outgive the Lord. And you, how much do you want to be blessed? We talked about that in Sunday school. How much do you want to be blessed? The more you want to be blessed, the more you give. It was uh, Letourneau who started the, uh, started the machines, uh, the Caterpillar-type machines. Had the, and he gave, ended up giving away 90% and lived on 10. He became a multimillionaire living on the 10%. Gave away 90 how much do you want to be blessed? Luther said, back to our text, uh, back to our message, Luther said he used two words in describing Job, magnificent and sublime. Hugo, Victor Hugo, the French poet, concluded that Job was perhaps the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. When is the last time you heard Job given such plaudits? If we, ever, if we stop learning, I think in a way we stop living. I, I've used that with the seniors if, when, when we stop saying, you know, I, I don't want to learn anymore, or there's nothing I can learn. Or, part of living, you understand that when we get to heaven, it's not like, you're going to know everything you're not. It's going to be a learning experience, how to serve our Lord, to read his word. Can you imagine when you get to heaven, we'll be able, I think we'll have a lot better grapple, grap on things. But perhaps Nahum is going to come to you and say, did you like my book? You got a book in there? Were you in the mind of prophets? 
You know, I skipped over those every year because I really... What was your book about? Destruction of Nineveh. Oh! Isn't it going to be embarrassing? Do you ever think about that? We get to heaven and... Moses, did you read my book? Yes, the pastor spoke about it. We talked all the different things. He was on about you. Yes, we heard all about you. Yeah. Almost everyone's familiar with the opening two chapters. There's the contest. There's the wager. There's the challenge. By the way, can I just say, who started it? God said to Satan. See, God is in control. It's God's purposes. We understand that. But once we wade into the long-winded sections, it's like, oh my goodness, give me another ca- uh, some more caffeine to get through this. And we just, we just write it off as, well, get you a good study Bible or get you a good commentary. I'm telling you, the Word of God comes first, but there are a lot of good w- people who have a lot of wisdom can really help you. Oh my, I see that now. And that's the way it's been with this book, Beyond Suffering. I see that now. The persevering reader, I like this, dutifully plods through the 35 chapters of speeches by men who sometimes seem more interested in hearing themselves than listening to each other. Isn't that accurately? <laughs> Talk about what Job is. They just get off on, they start rattling all how what a terrible person Job is. And, and wow, poor Job. God's appearance revives our interest. Look with it at the end, please. Look at the end. I like the happily ever after. In case you're wondering, we're getting to the happily ever after, not next week or even next month. But we'll get there, Lord willing, unless the Lord comes back first, which he may. Besides the book, Job is, we don't know. I've heard, was, it one, uh, was it Martin Lloyd-Jones that preached 16 years through? I forget. It was, I forget he has eight volumes in Romans, but it's, uh, it was a quite, I've heard guys take 30 years on one book. Uh, it would be a long time. 42.16 says for us of Job, After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old, <laughs> full of days, and lived happily ever after. Uh, we should say it this way, and lives happily ever after. We like that. But but is this all God intended for us to get out of the book? The the contest at the beginning and the wonderful end? Is there not? Why did he not just skip the 35 chapters if that's all he wants us to look at? It's the 1, 2, and then 40, and then maybe 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. Why did he give us all the speeches and things if he did not want us to learn something from them? And if we've never really studied them, that middle part, how do we know we got the right, I, the right what God's telling? If, if you never studied them, how can you say, well, I just know what it says. I just know. I don't really. And let's certainly not say I don't care what it says. We should care greatly what God is saying to us. Wolverd says, late John Wolverd, the knowledge of Job and his friends about God and his ways is proof that prior to written scripture, God had revealed himself in definite form. The book of Job furnishes sufficient material in itself for a well-rounded systematic theology and indicates that God had not left himself without adequate testimony. Why in the world is Job offering sacrifices? It was the patriarchal period when the father led the home. It's before the Mosaic law when they had the Levite system of, of, of sacrifices. So the father of the home was the one who was the spiritual leader and offered the sacrifices. Abraham, the patriarchal period in which Job lived. It's a novel, as you're turning to 42, verse 2 and 3, a novel tracing the growth and transformation and the character of Job in the conflict, an unfolding drama, 
a metamorphosis. Job 42, verse 1, or verse 2 and 3. Job answered, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Wow, that's Job. After all he's been through. And he says, God is God and I am not. Basically what he's saying. So the nature of the book, it's absolutely a wonderful book and it has much plaudits from the outside world even. Secondly, it's the structure of the book. Job is rightly understood as a masterpiece of Hebrew poetry. It's the first poetic book of the English Bible. Now we have learned, you may not have learned, but there are five distinct sections of the Old Testament in the English Old Testament. Five distinct sections. First of all is the law, the first five books. Twelve historical books, five poetic books, five major prophets, twelve minor prophets for a grand total of 39 books. Five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Law, history, poetry, old, major, and minor. They're only called minor prophets because they all would fit on one scroll. That's the basic grouping of the Old Testament books. The first book of poetry is, of course, Job. We find then that Job introduces the reader to the idea of Hebrew poetry. In our poetry, we want things that rhyme. Eensy weensy spider went up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain. And the eensy weensy spider went up the spout again. It rhymes. It's got meter. I can understand English poetry because of that rhyme and the meter. Hebrew poetry is the repetition and combination of ideas more than sounds. So just because the Hebrew poet, it doesn't... And by the way, we're translating from Hebrew into English. How can you take a poem that rhymes in one language and take it into another language and it have the same rhyming function? You cannot really do that very well at all. So Hebrew poetry... Is repetition. Job 3, please. Job 3. Job chapter 3, if you would there, please. Poetry and prose are the building materials. Job chapter 3. Prose is a form of writing or spoken language that follows the natural flow of speech and uses a language, ordinary grammatical structures, prose, and follows the conventions of a formal academic writing. Poetry is more of a writing in lines and with rhythm and course meter and then rhyming that's poetry prose normal form of written spoken language look at three after the open this is after this first two chapters after this opened job's mouth and cursed his day and job spake and said let the day perish wherein i was born the night in which it was said there's a man child conceived let the day be darkness let not god regard it from above neither let the light shine upon it let the darkness and the shadow of death stain it let a cloud dwell upon it let the darkness of the day terrify it as for that night let darkness seize upon it let it not be joined into the days of the year let it not come into the number of the months lo let that night be solitary let no joyful voice come therein let them curse it of that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark let it look for light but have none 
sun neither. Let us see the dawning of the day, because it is shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did not the knees prevent me? Why did not the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept, then had I not been at rest. Thirteen verses to get the one point home. Why was I born? After seeing what I faced, why did the why did the night why was there a night? Why was it the cursed is the day I was you see, it's not rhyming, but I'm telling you, it's poetry. He wants us to know there is no question what he is talking about and the beautiful way. Can you isn't that discouraged? Can you have you been that discouraged? Maybe you have. Why, why was it even born if I'm going to go through all this? Poetry is a type of literature, according to Kids Britannica. Poetry is a type of literature of artistic writing that attempts to stir a reader's imagination or emotions. The poet does this by carefully choosing and arranging language for its meaning, sound, and rhythm. I'm telling you, he's got our attention in chapter 3, how he feels at, after chapters 1 and 2. Easy, the easiest way I found Dr. Hobbit lines our book up like this. Four logs. It's a log cabin. The prologue, one and two. Dialogue, three to 37. Monologue, 38 to 41. And epilogue, 42. Prologue, dialogue, monologue, epilogue. And there you have it. The book of Job. It's one of the easiest books, they say, to for structure-wise. Nature and structure, easy to put together. And thirdly, is author. Now, can we go back to to New Testament for this one scripture phrase? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God wrote the book. Uh, Gleason Archer in his book, Survey of the Old Testament, says that no one who who wrote the book of Job, the text contains no definitive clue, no consensus of scholarly opinion or rabbinic tradition exists. And I have Henry Moore saying just a little bit of the different opinion on that. But there are different, uh, Roy Zuck in the Old Testament Bible Knowledge Commentary says they possibilities of who wrote Job, Moses, Solomon, Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Elihu, and some unknown intertestinal author. Elmer Smith says, whoever the author was, his work has witnessed to the spirits of the faithful through the ages that it was divinely inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The human writers, the Bible is infallible and errant. God breathed. Why did Solomon write about love? He who had a very, very much difficulty with women. Why was he writing the Song of Solomon? Because the Holy Spirit wrote that book. And that, not necessarily Solomon. The Holy Spirit wrote it and uses Solomon's pen, if you would. I like what Moore says. We have a, a Henry Moore study Bible, Defender study Bible. The first 11 chapters of Genesis almost certainly are originally written by Adam. We understand that. Here's the question for you. I'm off space just a moment. But how did Moses in 1400s BC write about the creation of the world, which happened about 4000 BC? How did Moses do that? How did Moses write about something that happened mm, 2600 years earlier? God superintended the men, Adam, Seth, the men of the Old Testament, to write down their books, Toledus, and they wrote down those books. And Moses, they preserved those for Moses. And Moses came along, God superintended him to take those books together and to give us the book of Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses was alive in writing those. Genesis, the Holy Spirit took what Moses had collected together, and wrote. He used that and led Moses to write the things we have in Genesis. 
Some, and Morris would be one, believe that he took the information that Job wrote down much earlier, and then he took that information and tweaked it here and there, and he was the one who actually believes, Morris does, that Job is the, uh, was written by Moses himself. Of course, the original editor, uh, that would make sense if Moses is regarded as the editor and original sponsor of Job's book rather than the author. Undoubtedly, Job wrote it himself. Why would you say that? In text in Job chapter 13, 19, Job 19, 23. Job wrote his book, and very possibly, Morris says, Moses edited it through the Spirit's inspiration. Oh, that my words, 1913 of Job, were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. Moses likely had possession of Job's record. How did he even get it? Because the land of Midian was close to the land of Uz when he was there for 40 years. So that's, you can decide what you want on the author of the book. Job wrote it. Very possibly Moses superintended then the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the, putting it together. Finally, he's a culture. Back in chapter 1, we found he's a man from the land of Uz, evidently about the same time as Abraham, significant despite the prevalent ancient tradition of Moses' connection with the book. The book of Job nowhere talks about Mosaic laws. Why? It's a lot earlier. If you want to talk about early books, perhaps there was Exodus and Numbers and some of Leviticus, and then you probably put Job right in there as far as the books being written because it was written early on. (laughs) Graphically, Geographically, the backdrop of the books of Job indicates he was a native of northern Arabia, and the whole setting of the book is Arabic rather than Hebrew. Gleason Archer says the foreign locale would also account for the comparative rarity of the name Yahweh. In most chapters of the book, Job shows a distinct preference for the term Elohim for God. The evidence from the use of divine names certainly tends to confirm the theory of a non-Israelite background. Remember, if he's in the time of Abraham, there were no Israelites till Abraham. So how could he be an Israelitist if he's alive contemporary with, maybe even younger or older, but older than Abraham, born before? Job and his friends, I tell you, they'll stand to those whom God graciously revealed himself prior and outside the channel of Israel. Did God reveal himself to people before the law of Moses? Yes. There was Pharaoh in Genesis 12. There was Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Abimelech in Genesis 20. Abimelech in Genesis 26. All the social, religious, and historical details in the book suggest Job lived the same time as these individuals. And historically... We know if you were rich, you had a lot of possessions. Job chapter 1, verse 3, that was elements of the patriarchal period. Think with me now when it talked about people who were rich early on in the, in the Old Testament. You were rich if you had what? Livestock. They numbered it. It wasn't by how much you had in the bank, how much you had in savings, how much you had in retirement. What they numbered it by was, wow, you had all these animals, you had all these servants. That was Abraham. That was Isaac. That was Jacob. That was Job. That's the same period, time frame, if you would. Look what it says in Job chapter 1, verse 3. Job 1, 3, it says, For his, uh, for his substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 uh, she-asses, and a very great household. He was the greatest man in all the East, men of the East. He had all these things. And, and really, the piece of money, the unit of money used in Job 41, verse 2, the piece of money was a unit of value characteristics of the patriarchal period. So Job, basically along the same time as Abraham, 
unique. It defies, and I would like to think about, as before I pray, think about this as our method of understanding Job as this, a theatrical view. I like a theatrical view of Job. We have stage right, or stage center, God and Satan. And then we have over here on the one side, we have the three friends and Job. And over here on the other side, stage right for you would be God. And then we have, this is how this all plays out. God and Satan, Job and his troublers and friends. God reveals himself in many ways. And then the ending of the story again, the happily ever after. So the book of Job is not simply an interesting but ancient tale of one man's calamity. I'm telling you, the book of Job is about an awesome God and about one man who trusted God even amidst all troubles and trials which we can only imagine ourselves. And he learned to obey God's way. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see beyond the suffering of Job, to see beyond the trials he experienced with the three friends and the fourth speech giver. Help us to see beyond that to a God who cares, who knows, who a loving God who, who allowed Job to go through this to show us even today in 2023 that a Christian can still rely upon God even amid such terrible things. Lord, we often hear, how you doing? I'm doing well for my circumstances. Well, we shouldn't be living under our circumstances. We should be living with in light of your blessings upon us. Lord, may we not succumb to the discouragement that the Satan would want for us through various means. May we look to you. May our understanding of you be so broadened in this study. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.